All he does is catch the football. That's, that is beautiful. That's why I came to West Virginia, man. Ding dong, the witch is dead in Arizona. This is a totally energized Heinz Field, the power of the Renegade song. The backyard brawl, man, against Pitt. Look at that. Oh, there's Rob Wolfley. Wow! They came after Donovan McNabb. Went after him. They played to win the game. Everybody's going bonkers, even the referees. Oh, those, those look like the sticky gloves right there. We talk about 50-50. Right now it's 50-50. Who's going to get it? Game came with cover zero. Man across the board. Pick up a flag because, hey, and then with the Renegade song, even flags don't count. He's going to get an Italian army behind him right there, just like Franco Harris. My goodness, that is pure guts. Give me a pepperoni roll, man. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Three Wolves of Football, the boys from Orchard Park. Craig, Ron, and myself, Dale Wolfley. We welcome you in this third episode. And I've already named the episode because I already had an idea. And it says, did you really do that? (laughs) <laughs> and uh, that is a theme, and you guys don't know what I'm talking about yet. So we're gonna. You know, what, 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 you know what I'm afraid of? This is like one of those things where they, they, they you know, we get uh, blindsided here. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's right. like we've got Dale Wolfley, office linebacker, ready to hit us with a blindside shot. It, it okay. makes me a little unnerved, if you will. Okay, and let me just jump in here and say this as well, right here, Dale. You had an idea. <laughs> you had an idea. I can't wait. What's going to happen, big guy? Well, I'm going to tell you what. We're going to get to that in a minute. But first of all, there's something I have to address because, truthfully, there is power in words. There are meanings in words. And when you take three fellas from Buffalo and you ask them, say, what are the best chicken wings in Buffalo, there are power in the words that you're about to respond with and come up because you know the Wolfleys know chicken wings in Buffalo. And I'm going to start with you, oldest brother, Derry, because you recently broke your tooth on a chicken wing. And so that gives you the honor of starting first. What is the best place to get chicken wings in Buffalo. We're going to end this this whole rivalry, this whole argument of all time, the Wolfley boys. All right. Here, here's my two cents, and I will tell you this. I, I've only been there once, but if you're going to Buffalo, you've got to make sure you go to the Anchor Bar. It's the Mecca. It's the birthplace. It's where wings came into being there, okay? So you got to go there, and you got a taste of the original, the original spot where they came up with, you know, the Buffalo wings. Now, if you can't do that, if it's not on your ability to get there, then I would simply say, oh, Santora's is a nice one there. Um, I enjoyed Santora's. I think at one time I was I was in the running for in, a, in the Chicken Wing Hall of Fame there as far as eating them there. That, that, oh, uh, you know, I was, I was pretty big there. <laughs> okay. There's no doubt about that. Uh, <laughs> oh, did you remember Santora's? As a matter of fact, I, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't remember Santor's right now. I remember Antonio's, of course, being in Orchard Park. Antonio's, they had very, very good wings. I have to tell you right now, boys, that if somebody said to me, um, Ron, 
Where are the best wings in Buffalo, New York? I'm sorry. The Bar Bill Tavern in East Aurora. Mm. I, 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 you know what? It, it pains me to say that um, because it's East Aurora. <laughs> but I will tell you right now, man, the Bar Bill Tavern in East Aurora, knock you out. That's not even a joke. But uh, let me ask you this. Okay. Have, have you have you gone to the original? Have you gone to the Mecca, the birthplace of wings, the Anchor Bar? I, I have not, Craig. Okay. <laughs> Boom. Right there. I have not. Right. Exactly. Have I'm you throwing been to it bar down. Bill? The gauntlet is down. Have you been to the bar, Bill? I uh, know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just so you know, I've been to both. Okay. And I used to. I did. I used to anchor myself at the anchor bar because oh. eating a ton of wings. Excuse the pun. Okay. Hey, where have you not anchored yourself? <laughs> where have you not? Well, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, in Buffalo. But I will say, <laughs> our bill in East Aurora is absolutely incredible. Uh, the wings, all the flavors that are just really uh, Buffalo, Buffalo flavors, because the Buffalo wings. With the Red Hots sauce, truly amazing. If you're going to Buffalo, you gotta go to the Bar Bill. Derry, you're outruled. Two to one. It's the Bar Bill in Eastern. Wow. How can you there argue you with the birthplace of wings? I'm just simply, I throw that down and say, there you go. I mean, it's the birthplace. That's where it all started, buddy. Well, being that the two of you are both in the Greater Buffalo Hall of Fame, Derry, <laughs> I'm saying to you, you're now in the Greater. Buffalo Hall of Shame because you broke your tooth on that wing. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I feel much shame, you know. <laughs> Very good. Now, again, we come to that point every week where I know that you two worry about the mulligan, the, the part of the show, because it used to be at the end of the first show, and then I switched it, and I keep making the rules and changing them. You know, it's kind of like moving the goalposts as you go along in the game. And, and why not? And why not? Because we can. Because this is our show. So this is what we're going to do. But, you know, when I came up with the title, did you really do that? Okay. <laughs> I, I really had to go deep. And then, you know, we've we, talked to you. So, Brother Derry, you actually brought this upon yourself. Okay. Because oh. you've talked many times about wearing a diaper. Uh, okay. And and you, you sat there. and. No. Yeah, yeah. Oh, please. And people have asked her, saying, hey, we want to see this. So, honestly, for the World's Strongest Man Contest, which that was 1981 out of 10 dudes, you were fifth. And you did a really heck of a, a job because you just you were in that World's Strongest Man Contest. So, props up to you, brother. And props up to this. <laughs> Yo! Estago Pisco from Howland, if you recall. 400 pounds, baby. He was ginormous. What was that that you wore? It was called a Mawashi. Mawashi. The Mawashi was, is the official garb of the Yokozuna, all right? The, the sumo champions. And, of course, not being a sumo champion, I, you know. I can only tell you this. If you had seen Hoopy's face when I took my sweatsuit off, and she just covered her eyes for a moment. It was, you know, it was a, it was a, it was one of those moments. You know, there's mom, there's me. Oh boy, yeah. You know, you know what? Uh, that was one of those moments. And and this week you won. It was. Did you really do that? So yeah, she did. 
But it was been you were fifth in the world in the strongest man contest. That that didn't suck. No, no, that. Yeah, I mean that's probably if we had a uh, you know a, a new segment called that didn't suck. That would be one that did. <laughs> you know, and it's incredible because you know you are inspiring me as we go along. Because now I'm going to sit there thinking, you know, that didn't suck segment. Okay, that's something for the future. What do you want to say, Paul? Yeah, what I was going to say is, don't I get that? I mean, am I being asked this as well, or what? Is this just crack? Uh, you got a lot of wanted to shame me with a diaper when I was young because oh, I it's coming along as I get older or something. Okay. No, you got it last week when you missed the high five that didn't arrive. Oh. You. <laughs> That's okay. wow. Wow. I get it next. I get it. I get it next week. With the, did you really do that? Because I will tell you my story. Okay. You know what? I wait with great anticipation. Yeah, I'm sure you do. (laughs) Okay, moving along now. So we're going to keep this going, and we're going to be brief, and we're going to say, hey, you know, King Henry, you know, what a running back, Derrick Henry for the Tennessee Titans. And I wanted to really get to the subject because is he losing a step in his game you know, when you take a pounding all the time and you're so physical, we've seen it before, Earl Campbell, all the great running backs that give poundings, it takes a tear on you. And King Henry, now, he, last week, he had 85 yards of touchdown and 58 yards receiving. But the first two weeks, he was only about half of what he was accomplishing. Yeah, for me, Soda Pop, I can tell you right now, I mean, he's still, he's still so good. He is so physical. The Arizona Cardinals, of course, practice against the Tennessee Titans in training camp. And just looking at him, the size was like, you just shake your head and you can't even believe what you're watching. He's like a unicorn. Um, I think he's only going to continue to get stronger. I think you're right, Soda Pop, at some point in time. Uh, the, the hits do take a toll on a running back. But for me right now, I think the best running back in the league and the best rushing attack in the league is the Cleveland Browns and Nick Chubb. Uh, I, I mean, you look at Nick Chubb, 62 carries, 341 yards. He's averaging five and a half yards per carry. He's already scored four touchdowns. And you watch the Cleveland Browns run the ball. That's no joke. Here comes the tackle zone. Here comes the inside zone. Here comes 22 and 23 double, the power without the pole. Here it comes. They're going to run the ball in a north-south fashion, and they're going to run over your face. And it's the reason why the Cleveland Browns have surprised so many people. came off of playing the Browns last Thursday night, and the Steelers outrushed the Browns in the first half. Uh, They had more first downs. They had more points. It's 14-13. They came out in the third quarter. They had a uh, drive going, and then all of a sudden they had a penalty, brought back a big run by Jalen Warren. And the next thing you know, the Cleveland Browns are feeding the ball to Nick Chubb, and they go on drives of 80 and 80 yards, and I think 79 yards. It was it was unbelievable. They just You talk about possessing and sucking up all the clock. It, I mean, it, it was. And Nick Chubb is so strong and so fast. Um, I, I think Derrick Henry, I think he's he's awesome, no doubt about it. But yeah. if I put money on, on, on the back, right now I'd say Nick Chubb was the guy in the league that did it the best. And let, let me say one other thing following up on Craig, too. But you can't knock him off his feet. Have you noticed that? His balance and his cent- center of gravity is so low to the ground. It's so hard to knock him off his feet. 
unless you wrap him up and drag him down. You're not bringing him down. But here's the point. He's always going to get two or three more yards in that last push. It's like you said. He doesn't go down. So he's on his feet, and what happens is he gets these big offensive linemen, the the Batonios, you know, you got those guys. You you got the Conklin, you know. You got all these big guys getting up there, and they just get behind him, and they push and push. Wyatt Teller. Wyatt Teller. I walked into the stadium behind Wyatt Teller. He's got to be one of the biggest human beings I've seen in a long time. That man is countrywide. You know, I mean – I, I, I'm not kidding when I tell you it looks like a Sasquatch from behind with shoulders <laughs> like, you know, four feet apart. Well, that makes it really nice running when you have a, a Sasquatch in front of you blocking. But Doesn't you know, hurt. Yeah, it reminds me of the story of, of Pony Boy when he sat there and he told the reporters and said, if you need two yards and you give me the ball, I'm going to get you two yards in a cloud of dust. And he also said, you know, if you need four yards and you give me the ball – I'm going to get you two yards in a cloud of dust. That's not Nick Chubb. That's Ron Wolfley talking. That is, that is a true story right there. That is a true story. And Bill Bidwell, of course, the legendary owner of the Arizona and St. Louis Cardinals, of course, from the Bidwell family, he used to come up to me after I said that, and he would say to me, did you ever get me three? <laughs> and I'd say No. I only got you too, Bill. <laughs> All right. Excellent, excellent. Okay, so last question. Is Derrick Henry still the king? No, I think Nick Chubb is – I mean, you, the, you know, you, you might have to switch the crown over because I think Nick Chubb, just having seen him, watched him up close, saw him just rolling, you know, last Thursday night, man, that dude is something. He really is special. Okay. Next subject. I need your – opinion on because this really bothers me okay and it's it's the rpo because when i go ahead and you watch this well let's just first watch it because i think that's the best way to describe it when you see this here watch the offensive linemen are engaging the linebackers there's not a chance that these linebackers can defend against the pass not a chance. The, the the linebackers are taken out because the linemen are three and a half to four yards up the field engaging there's no way. If, if you tried to think that was a pass, you would go ahead and your, your coach would fire you and you'd be out of the NFL trying to defend that because you would have to stick your nose up there against the run. Derry, go ahead. Well, it's tough. It's very difficult because if you've got a good run action play by your offensive line, it makes the, the linebackers want to engage right away. They're going to be sucked up. They're going to come up there. And you've got to have a quarterback, though, who can anticipate those windows. And this is the key because – Believe you me, after defensive coordinators get a look-see at what you're doing, they're going to start a book on it. They're going to find a trend, and they're going to see just how much of that is fake and how much of it is the real deal. And then they'll start making plans according to that where you can get even fire zones. You know, you, you got guys, you're going to have guys bailing out and getting to the throwing lanes that you most heavily traffic in by, you know, the scouting report. So there's ways and means by which you can handle that. Um, that's a very difficult read, though, for a linebacker, I would think, never having played linebacker myself. But just looking at it from a point of view of seeing, if they if they give you an honest run look, especially like the Cleveland Browns, what are you going to do? You're going to go up and fill your gap. 
Listen, you know, honestly, for me, can I tell you guys, the, the, the RPO is definitely one of the most diabolical things ever created (laughs) is the RPO when you really stop and think about that. But having said that, um, no, make it tough on the offense. Anything that makes it more difficult to score points in the NFL, do it because I am sick and tired of watching the NFL go ahead and legislate offensive football. That's what they want. That's all it seems like they want. Bring back the struggle, man. And I know it'll never come back. It'll never come back. I admit this fully because of fantasy football. They want these fantasy football high-powered offenses and these high-powered games and scoring points. But for me personally – Anything they do to make the offense more accountable and make it tougher on the offense to score points, count me in. And I was an offensive player. It's just so one-sided, it drives me crazy. I would agree with you, Ronnie. You know what? Since we retired, and I'm trying to remember, it's been something like um, between 80 and 100 rule changes or something have gone on since I've been retired. And I think it was 90, 95% of them were affected the defense. It's all, you know, it's, and they legislate on behalf of the offense and they're making it tougher. Look, there was beauty in a 10 to 7 score. Man, 14 to 10. I mean, where you stood there, you're going back and forth and you're pounding the rock over and over. You're looking for that crack. You know, I think about Grandpa Palmer. Why, you know, Grandpa Palmer, I would work with him on Saturdays sometimes, you know, when, you know, he would take me to the job with Uncle Donnie and Uncle Larry, the construction company. <laughs> and what my job was to, to, to pound on rocks, okay? There was rocks in, in, in this field. And you just swing the hammer. And so I'm swinging away, and, you know, I'm 14 years old or whatever. And I, hey, Grandpa, uh, nothing's happening. And you'd hear Grandpa Palmer go, it's okay, boy. Just keep swinging that hammer. <laughs> and you go back to swinging the hammer. And you're swinging the hammer. Now it's like a half hour into it. Hey, Grandpa. I just, it's not even, there's not even a crack on this rock. And he goes, it's okay, boy, keep swinging the hammer. And then you keep going and somewhere in the next half hour, what happens? There's a crack in the rock and all of a sudden, boom. And you're like going, yes, yes, I split the rock. And that's what I used to love about the game of football was you just hammer away and let's see who can stand up at the end of the day. But you split that rock only after Uncle Donnie came over and showed you how to do it. Boy, you get right down. You got to get right down. You got to get some back action and do it. (laughs) Five seconds of doing it as fast as hard as you can. And then he say, that's how you do it. He walk away. (laughs) Then he walk away. (laughs) You've done it too, Dale. Oh, absolutely. But I'm going to tell you something there, Derry. That was really a pretty good analogy of of breaking something down. the, in the trenches. Bringing the trenches. I have my <laughs> moments. Yeah, well, uh, that was your moment, so don't expect to report for tonight. All right? But we're going to go ahead now because this is my favorite. I actually got this for you, Derek. This is Fundamentals, man. And and this is what we have here is Tristan Wirth of the right tackle, number 78 for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And he's, he's just a second-year guy, I believe. And he goes ahead and he plays the game like this. I love this. We need more of this, in my opinion. He's the right tackle, 78. Watch him, once again, come in and put the whammy. I mean, that's just moving somebody. That's that's not even, you know, giving a bump or whatever. That's just taking care of business. Go ahead, Pony. I'm going to start off with you on this and let Derry finish. 
Okay, yeah, let me just say right now, um, if, if in fact you played at Iowa at all, if you have any talent whatsoever and you were coached by Kurt Ferentz, I'm telling you right now, I'm drafting you. <laughs> That's what I'm telling you. This okay. guy this guy is so talented. He truly is. There were a lot of question marks with Tristan Wirth, Wirth when he came out. And um, for me, the, the only question I needed to know, d- did Kirk Ferentz coach him? Because he was my coach. I shouldn't say my coach. He was with Cleveland under Bill Belichick for a year that I was there. And he was he was simply the best offensive line coach that I had seen at that point in time. And, um, yeah, you know, Tristan Wirfs is so talented. But, um, yeah, I'm going to draft him if he went to Iowa. You know, I look at that, and one of the lost arts, I think, in the fundamentals of football in the trenches, okay, is the art of the double team. So many guys, in my day, it was all about you got a postman and you got a drive man. The postman lifts the guy up, gets the, the shoulder pads up, the drive man's got to come in and zoom in right on the hip, and you take that dude for a ride, and you don't you don't bang him and then come off. You take the guy with his hand in the ground, his hand in the dirt, you pick him up, and you throw him in the lap of the second-level linebacker. Now you got something rolling north and south, right? Now you got some action going. You're rolling back the line of scrimmage on the other side of the football. Now, I understand in today's NFL – Part of it is also with the zone blocking schemes. And you just saw a great example of what Worf did. He comes out, he bangs the hip, knocking the guy to the inside. Rather than taking him back north and south, he's now knocking him into the inside, and then he's pinning uh, as he comes off on the a linebacker. So, you know what? It's effective. It does well. I prefer the old post and drive double team. There was nothing better than taking a guy back and crushing him in a, in a nice double team block. But the fact of the matter is, as long as you get the man out of the way, you engage, you get the second-level guy, it all, all works as long as that running back is taking that rock and running north and south. You know, I'd, I'd have to think that when you're a defensive lineman, watching him, if you've got to play the Bucks and seeing that you got to go up against him, you're really watching the film pretty intensely and pretty closely. No question about it, man. You, you watch the film. I mean – you know what it's like, man, film, right? You get in there and you watch that stuff and you work on your technique, your fundamentals all the time. The guy like Tristan works. I mean, that that looks great, right? The point is, can you do that consistently over and over again? Because that's the separation point for a lot of guys that are they're they're very good, some good, some great, some not so great. It's all those variables in between. Okay. There's nothing. There's nothing like that red dot on you, <laughs> whether it was a good play or a bad play. There's nothing like that red dot on you to make you feel incredible joy or serious sadness. When we say the red dot, I, I must explain. It's a laser in the film room. Right. All right. So okay. let, me gonna... give you, let me give you my funniest red dot thing. Okay. All right. We're about to play the Philly Eagles. And the minister of defense, Reggie White, was over a guy, right? So our line coach has got the red dot, and he's zeroing in at a third and 12 on this young offensive lineman's bend in his ankle, the <laughs> amount of his ankle bend, okay? And he's talking to this guy. He's, he's explaining over – now, this ankle is gets you in trouble. You see how it's bent in this angle? I remember sitting there with Tunch and going, 
you know, he's missing the point. You've got the greatest man killer in the, in the NFL sitting on your nose on third and 12. You're worth, you're in for a whole lot of hurt beside that ankle, but <laughs> that, that ankle ain't going to do nothing for you. You could have five ankles. Okay. None of those are going to about to save you from what, what's about to come down the middle of you. <laughs> you know, Minister, it's just one of those things you go, okay. You know, game set and match this is going to be. This is not going to end well for that dude. Okay, excellent points. I mean, I'm really getting a lot of football out of you guys this week. I'm going to have to, you know, pay you overtime here. I think. Give <laughs> me some really good points. Appreciate it. Now, this here is you're going to see Ken Dorsey. We all know about. He all saw him up there, the Bills' offensive coordinator. But my point for this is watching him. Okay, so he loses it. It's intense. We all get that. It's in the box. It's all that. But are the Bills wound too tight? Are they expected to be flawless? Seriously, I'm saying this because they go ahead and they lose to the Dolphins. And obviously, you could go for whatever excuse you want. It doesn't matter. They lost. They had an opportunity to win. They lost. And it's like people are, are kind of like losing their mind a little bit because Josh Allen wasn't king. Or Josh Allen didn't win that game. He actually threw a ball into the ground on the last opportunity to score a touchdown. So are the Bills wound too tight? Hey, Soda, can I actually see that again? (laughs) Can I see Ken Dorsey once again? Because, um, okay, the smashing of the papers and stuff like that. um, What is he wearing, by the way? Well, that's the first thing I've heard of. Well, it looks like skinny jeans. It, 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 yeah, I, it doesn't even look like skinny jeans. It kind of looks like, are those shorts? Frankly, I'm sorry. I thought that was Dale after Thanksgiving dinner and somebody had eaten the last <laughs> of the pies. I, I'm sorry. I didn't know. All right. You got to get to the point of the bills. Are they expected to be perfect? I, you know, I don't, I don't know about that, um, but that that reaction, I'm sure it, it had something to do with a mental error, <laughs> a mental error down on the field that really hurt them. I would imagine that. I don't mind an offensive coordinator. I don't mind a coach up in the booth going off at all on any of that stuff. This is a, an emotional game. It's a passionate game, and sometimes you will lose your mind. And I think we've all experienced that at some point in time in between those white lines. Yeah, you know, I don't think they're wound too tight. I think that's a natural reaction by a coach who obviously is wearing some skinny jeans slash underwear or something. Say this, okay? You put that game in Orchard Park in – 40-degree weather, 30-degree weather. I'm sorry. They whipped the, the Dolphins. If you watch that game, the meltdown occurred with the offensive line. The big beef eaters, I'm telling you what, it was so hot, and you know what it's like. Ronnie, you, 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 you had your career. Most of your career was, was in you know the heat down there, all right? That's really brutal. When you start dropping offensive linemen, so you're down to your, what, third-string center, and you lose the right guard, right tackle, they, had, they were got – I mean, I, I'm surprised they didn't have to go out and hire somebody off the street to be able to come in and suit up and put reps in. Um, I simply, I, I will maintain, I believe that game in Orchard Park, in cool weather, it's a whole different story. Okay. Well, we're going to move along then. Staying with the Bills, though, is Josh Allen 
in a in the bottom of the pile mashup oh. and his uh, privates attacked. Okay, by a defender, and this is what okay, he this is we're family friendly. Uh, understand what was going on under that pile. Obviously, I let the emotions get to the best of me, but there are some things that I didn't appreciate down there uh, that, that was going on, and um, we'll make we'll let everybody make their own judgments for that. Um, you know, I I apologize to my team for putting ourselves in a, in a tougher situation, um, but it is what it is, and uh, we'll move on. So Josh Allen was at the bottom of the pile, and Christian Wilkins. The nose guard from the, from the Dolphins was sitting there giving the business, and Josh Allen took him and drove his helmet off because he's like, "Hey, you know what? That happens. Well, what goes on at the bottom of the pile? That's my question." Ooh, there's a lot of things that go on at the bottom of the pile. Um, you know, I, I look at that and I go, "I don't blame Josh Allen. I, I mean, you know what goes on in those piles, both you guys. Okay, so it can be anywhere from punching." You know, north, punching south of the border. It can be fish hooking. You know, you can, you know, maybe accidentally put your forearm along somebody's neck and lean on it really hard. So it, uh, you know, it, 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 it's a little, it kind of cuts your air, air breathing a little bit off. I've seen at the bottom of the pile when we played in Miami when it was pouring rain um, and it rained so hard. Uh, we ran to the pile on a, on a, Mike Malarkey was our tight end. And we ran to the ball. He was underneath of three or four guys. I could hear him gurgling because the water was so high up on the <laughs> field. And he was he was literally drowning. I had to pull guys off, pull Michael out of the pile up because his face was down in the water. You know what I mean? There's a lot of things that go on there. Josh, I don't blame him one bit. You know, these things happen. I'll tell you a quick instance. Steelers played Miami up at uh, Pittsburgh. And uh, Cody Wallace was the center. Uh, the ball got loose. Um, Cody went in in the groundhog fashion into the pile after it. Um, he was punching the ball out, uh, or thought he was, but he was really punching a ball out. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, I'm just being careful. But there was some uh, – so he comes to the sidelines, right? And he's, he's breathing hard. I'm standing on the sidelines. At that point, I was a sideline guy for the Steelers. So I'm standing there. And he, he looks at me and he goes, do you think? I go, oh, I said, that was kind of interesting how you're trying to dislodge the ball. And he said, did you think anybody saw that? And I go, oh, no, it's playing on the Jumbotron right now, but nobody saw that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sure. what? there's an old saying that says what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? right? What happens at the bottom of a pile stays at the bottom of a pile. It should. Um, it should. Uh, yeah, the, the French uppercut from time to time has happened at the bottom of a pile and maybe even a jig in the eyeball every now and then. And I think we've all at some point in time been wronged, horribly wronged at the bottom of that pile. Well, I, you know, I agree with you. And I'll just simply say that, um, you know, uh, I don't know if the statute of limitations has run out that topic alone. <laughs> Because we're all, okay. I'm sure we're all guilty here. Let's just not push it. <laughs> okay, yeah. Ed, my usual say. Moving along. Okay, let's go to your team. Now, great. I watched this this catch by George Pickett. It's a one-handed catch. And oh, sensational. And I want to know, from you watching him, watching him and, and pretty much every day in practice, you know, how good is he going to be or is already? 
You take a look at that. He actually just levitates to the outside. I mean, look at that. He gets prone. He goes out with one hand, and he stretches out and pulls that baby in. That's a fantastical catch. Not since uh, Odell Beckham Jr. have we seen a, a catch like that. And what I maintain is the way he gumbied himself in midair. I mean, that's a triple Lindy with a half twist. You know, that's that's you know that's a ten a ten a ten zero on the uh, you know on on uh, how hard the dive was. You know, I mean that's that's hard. And he 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 did a great job. Now, unfortunately, there was a play that came after that in the end zone. He went up one hand again, and that one you look at it and go, if you'd gone up with two hands, high pointed, you might have caught that mm-hmm. touchdown. Steelers needed a touchdown, but you know I will say this. Just watching this young man and the athleticism, his ability to run a low four fours, though he's six two, six three, and a couple hundred pounds, um, and for him to make that kind of catch, man, that is so highlight real worthy. It's uh, it's sensational. Yeah, no, it reminded me so much of OBJ and his catch for a touchdown. If you remember right. that one, his one handed catch. But this guy, to your point, Craig, he was horizontal. Yeah, He was horizontal to the ground. I don't know if I've ever seen a receiver horizontal making that one-handed catch. That was a truly incredible play, man. It was. And I think this young man, they need to feed him the ball more. They're going to target him more, I think, in the upcoming games. But uh, his ability – now, he's got to be careful because he can't just be a one-trick pony. You know, you just can't run go routes all day. You yeah. know, you've got to be able to run pro – Wide receiver routes, which means you got to be able to run each each route stem. You got to be able to run them at three different speeds. You know what I mean? That's something that that takes mastery for and for a guy like um for for uh, Pickens. You know that's something he needs to uh, you know attain that sort of professionalism in his route running. Mm-hmm. Now let's go continue on. Then since we're already here, let's go on with the Steelers and. Of course, he had the Brownies. Mitch Trubisky just came out with he's talking about you know good play calling. The play calling is good. The players are good. He's getting. He's just getting it together. No panic going on with Mitch Trubisky. I thought you were playing some some sort of. Uh... I, I'm sorry, but I don't see a video going right now. Right, right, okay. I apologize. You know, that's one of those things we didn't work out ahead of time, and I'm sorry there. But I will say this: Mitch Trubisky, he's he's a upright in your face square leader. This guy does a good job. All right. There's a lot of people that are start starting to say, Oh, you know about Kenny, you know, we want Kenny. He's the hometown guy. And obviously you want that. And you understand that. But Mitch Trubisky in my mind has gotten better each and every week. And he has got that veteran leadership. This guy is solid as a rock. Now he's not going to be Ben Roethlisberger. As a matter of fact, his only crime is he's not Ben Roethlisberger, but nobody else is Ben Roethlisberger. Okay. You got Pittsburgh has had almost two decades of future Hall of Fame quarterbacking from Big Ben. And so it's a little difficult to come in at the tail end and be able to be the guy that steps in. When Terry Bradshaw stepped down, right, you had Cliff Stout, you had Mark Malone, and we went on to have a succession of a whole number of quarterbacks. And remember, from Bradshaw in 83 to Ben starting in 04, there's 21 years of quarterbacks playing and wearing the quarterback numbers for the Steelers. None of them got to those levels. But I'll say this, you know what? Mitch right now is the guy that I believe you just got to stay right now in the troubled waters and keep riding straight. Be strong. 
Yeah, the only other thing I want to say quickly on that is just the fact, can you imagine, guys, we're, we're all ballers. We're all football players. We all know, hey, listen, I'm fat and 59 right now, but I still think like I'm 24. I still think like I'm a player right now. Can you imagine how difficult that would be for Mitch Trubisky to suddenly try to replace a guy that's going to Canton? a guy that played there for almost two decades, and you got to be the guy actually taking the snap from center after that. That's... And, think, and think about this. The local hometown hero, Kenny Pickett, is the first-round draft pick. So not only are you replacing a legend, right. you've got what much of Steelers Nation is hoping is the next legend, you know, the next Dan Marino that the Steelers missed back in the day, you know, coming up. And so – it's, it's difficult, but I will say this. Mitch Trubisky has handled it as well as you could have a human being handle it. The guy is guy's aces in my book, okay? I mean, you know, he, he, he's got some ways to go here running this offense, but the offense is coming along, and let's see where it leads, and it's a steady hand and steady as she goes. Okay, so if you go back last week and check out our show, I said the exact same thing that about Kenny Pickett, just so you know. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> I'm glad. Obviously, you're not remembering the show before. Uh, Are you kidding me? Hey, I suffer from amnesia, man. I can't even remember what I had for lunch today. <laughs> okay, so Pony Boy, this is the time here that I, I told you guys. You know, I, I love it. Give me a story. What story you have for story time this week? You let me let me think about that, Soda Pop. You wanted a story. Um, can you I, know, I, I actually did text this to you yesterday. Yeah, yeah. yeah Can I did. actually give you the best advice I ever got from anybody while playing the game of football? Yes. Is that a story? I, I could use it. I could use it. Okay, huh, yeah. How about this right here? Um, it was 1985, and I was actually getting ready, preparing to leave to go to training camp. And um, I – I decided to call Craig because it had dawned on me that I had never asked him specifically what kind of, of advice, what, what, would, what would you give me? We talked about the game a lot and what it's like and what it's going to be like, but I never specifically asked Craig, who was already in the league for five years, his advice on what I should do. And Craig, well, I called him and I said, Craig, you know, I, I'm – Listen, I'm leaving tomorrow for training camp, and I, I'd really love to know, uh, do you have any advice for me? And Craig paused, and he said, Ronnie, shut your mouth, respect everyone, and pick a fight with the toughest guy on the team. <laughs> that, boys, we ought to put that on a plaque and hang it over every rookie's locker in the NFL. But what's so funny about that? is Bruce Arians invited me to go and actually talk to his rookies. And I got up, I a little 15-minute dissertation, got up the first year that B.A. was the head coach. He invited me to do this. I addressed the rookies, and I told them that story. And as soon as I sat down, Bruce Arians jumped up and said, okay, we don't, we don't do any of that bull around here. And he used some profane <laughs> words and said that. <laughs> Apparently, Bruce Arians had a no-fighting policy, which I never knew he had a no-fighting policy in training camp. It, it was very embarrassing, as you can imagine. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what? Exactly. And you know what was nice about that is you actually made it fairly brief. Uh, okay. <laughs> that's the first thing either one of you have done tonight. So that's a good job. Okay. But now let's move on because I know you're both going to love this. Roddy, totally you're going to love this. It's about Bill Belichick. And he gives us inspiration. But when I was when I was preparing this, I'm like, he's talking to these guys. I've heard this back, and you could do the same speech when if you were in Pee Wee football. And I think maybe because right, you were a player of his. Maybe that's what's his great thing about him is that he talks to people at a level that everybody can understand. So here we go. In fact, there's nothing wrong. In fact, you should be excited when you make a play. Hell, look at all the work you've put into it, all the time that you've spent and practice of putting into it. And to go out there in a game competitively and execute it well and make a play, you should be excited about it. And your teammates should be excited too. And you see when we're playing with energy and when we're playing with emotion and when we're not. Nice play, Ty. Can't even see one guy saying, good hit. Walk back to the huddle and say, God, it looks like we don't even care. We aren't good enough to play that way. I don't know that anybody is. So, Gary, you know it's a good play. Just doesn't really register with anybody else. Just look at this right here. Do you think we were ready to play against Denver last year, Monday night? It's so obvious. It's so visible. And when you can show that picture visually to your opponent, that's what intimidation is. That's the look right there, fellas. It's going to be a long night. But, boy, I tell you what, but he, he makes a lot of sense. Uh, what, are your, what are your feelings on that? Well, let's see. I played for Bill Belichick in 1992 and 93, and that was, I think, actually before the Patriots, right? That was before that was yeah. actually – yeah, so – um, Bill Belichick, of course, in 1992 and 93, he didn't try to motivate anybody. He, this is one of the things I loved about Bill Belichick. He didn't try to motivate a gnat to fly around a fruit bowl, let alone grab a player and try to motivate him for a game because Bill was all about motivate yourself to go play a football game. He brought in guys who were self motivated. He brought in guys that were self-starters. He didn't he didn't want to bring guys in that he had to kick in the face to do their job or pat on the butt to get him to do his job. He treated you like a grown man. I got to tell you, that is my experience with Bill. The two years I was with him, I loved him because he left you alone. He didn't try to come up and ask about your family and see how your family was doing and try to make you think that he cared about you and your family personally. He cared about you when you walked in that building and how you went about your business. And for that, I love him to this day. Now, granted, I was a little bit older. I was year eight by the time I went and played for the Cleveland Browns. So I was a veteran. Um, I wanted to be left alone. But that was one of the things I truly appreciated about Bill is he really didn't try to motivate you. You know, Chuck Noll, who I just love, um, he changed the trajectory of my life. No doubt about it. Um, He used to say a couple of things. Number one, you know, you don't play with emotion. You play with enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is self-generated. You're self-motivated. 
He always said, if I, if you need me to motivate you, you're not going to be around here long. You know, that's, that's the way it is. And that's what the great Steelers uh, Super Bowl teams built in the seventies and through the eighties. That's really what was manifested because it was all about you bring yourself to the point of being ready. This is not a rah, rah thing. And it's not about, you know, let's get the cheerleading going and everything like that. Then no, no, it's about you bringing your own motivation. You bring your enthusiasm, not your emotion. So in other words, you know, be a professional. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. You don't need somebody to get them up, get up in front of you and go, we're going to hit them high, hit them low, fight, 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 fight. (laughs) That was pretty good. (laughs) Okay. That's good. I like that. Uh, Listen, Kyler Murray, uh, you know, Pony, I have a theory and I don't know. I could be completely wrong. So you're wrong. It could be. It's Kyler Murray. You know, he had that, that great moment there to win the game and those moments, but he's also struggled a little bit, and the offense is not seems to be clicking. Is he still caught up with that that whole contract mess? No, is he still, no. Is he still, he's not. He's not still like you know angry or whatever, and still lingering effects. No, Soda Pop, he is not. As a matter of fact, can I tell you, through three games right now, I think that Kyler Murray has been the Arizona Cardinals' best player. Through three games right now, if you go back and you look at even the Kansas City game, you look at how he played in that game, they didn't lose that game because of Kyler Murray. You go ahead and you look at the Raiders when they were down in that first half. (laughs) Listen, Kyler Murray, they weren't down 20 to nothing in that first half to the Raiders because Kyler Murray, they weren't. Kyler Murray's done a good job actually um, protecting the ball, and he's done a good job in terms of leading this team. Um, He's played consistently, I think, in all three games. He hasn't been great. There's no doubt about that. He has not been great. I, I don't mean to imply that, but I do mean to say He's been the most consistent player, I think, through these first three games. He just hasn't gotten a lot of help. And there are a number of different reasons for that, but um, they got to get better, man. His teammates have got to get better. Very good. Okay, so let's let's talk about the game this week against the Panthers. What's got to happen for the Cards to win? Yeah, how about this, guys? They got to run the ball, man. They got to run the ball, and they got to run the ball in a very physical way. And the reason why I say that is because, unfortunately, of Hurricane Ian and what is going on, and the fact that Hurricane Ian—it's a hundred percent chance of rain in Charlotte on Friday night. It's ninety percent chance of rain all day on Saturday. It's seventy percent chance of rain all day on seventy on Sunday for the Cardinals in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, you guys know that that field is going to be a mess. Even though it's going to be covered, that field is going to be drenched for the most part. They're talking about, guys, anywhere from 8 to 12 inches of rain or more to fall on the ground because of Hurricane Ian. Guys, you better be able to run the ball in that type of situation. And I think it's good because it's going to force the Arizona Cardinals to use a lot more 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends, and run the ball. It's going to force them 
to maybe put Kyler Murray a little bit more under center and try to attack the line of scrimmage and use some play action, some bootlegs, some waggles as well to get him out on the perimeter and give him the option of running the ball or throwing it. And I, I think ultimately it might work in the Cardinals' favor to find their rushing attack using power uh, power schemes. And, Craig, you know, power schemes, that's a mentality. Every offensive lineman knows when you're going to use down blocks and you're going to pull the uncovered lineman and you're going to kick out, uh, you're going to get after somebody. It's a mentality that you've got to have. And I want to see them use those schemes to create that mentality. And I think the offensive line would give me a standing ovation right now. (laughs) Yeah, I would. You know, what's interesting, fellas, and first of all, I know all three of us, we all pray for the people of Florida. You know, you just pray for God's mercy. Lord God. His strength to dissipate that storm and protect uh, the people. And it's, you know, excruciating. I can only imagine, you know, we have we have family down there, you know. We yeah. we ask the Lord to cover our family, keep them Amen. safe, and watch over them, you know. And uh, and it's and I take you back to two thousand four. We went down uh, two days before the hurricane hit down in Miami. It was Ben Roethlisberger's first start. The game was delayed until Sunday afternoon or something. I can't remember exactly Monday afternoon. I can't I can't even remember. But we went down and there was a hurricane. I we rode out the hurricane in a hotel. I mean, it was, it was crazy. And it was so funny because I was on the sidelines, you know, and it's still raining throughout the day the next day, and it was power running. That's, uh, you know, exactly, Ronnie, what you do. You go to 12 personnel, and you just slug it out, and you play the field position. You got to play the field position, and hopefully you can turn it around with you each punt. You get that, that extra field position. You know what I'm yeah. talking about? Right. Was that back when you had a ponytail? <laughs> I don't remember. That might have been mm, – no, that was in Minnesota. The thing, I'll finish this off real quick. You know, it's so funny because Tunch is up in the booth with Billy Hillgrove. You know, Tunch Hilkin, my our brother, uh, you know, great football player, broadcaster for the Steelers. So he says at halftime, he goes, it's pouring. No, in the second half, it's it's pouring. He goes, why don't you come up the booth? I go, I can't. I said, the Miami Dolphin cheerleaders are still out here. And I know if I go up there, you're going to out me. You're going to just make fun of me the whole second half. So I'm staying right here on the sidelines, riding out the storm. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, finish up here, uh, Derry, with what are the Steelers got to do to get back on the winning track against the Jets? Well, you've got the Jets coming into Acrisure Stadium. Look, you've got to get back on the winning track. And one of the things that is, is most prevalent is they're having – they've had success like they had in the first half with the Cleveland Browns. They've got to parlay that into the second half. You know how it is. You can't go out and play one half and then come back and go, okay, we did very well. You know, you got to, no, you got to play the whole 60 minutes. And part of that is they weren't very good on third down, possession downs, and in the weighty moments later in the game. They did not come out and play like they did in the first half. They're going to have to be able to run the ball. And one of the keys is to be able to be as close to 50-50 run-pass ratio. You simply cannot be too pass heavy. You know, when it, you're Mitch Trubisky. You've got good running backs. You've got good wide receivers. you got to make sure that you keep that, that uh, 50-50 as close as possible. You want the defense to honor their run keys as well, as, you know, to get to the pass rush. So I believe, you know, good running attack. And then defensively speaking, you got Joe Flacco, 
who's a 15 year guy in, in the New York Times. They're calling, I think they're calling him the fossil, <laughs> you know, um, but he's still slinging it. You know, in over three games, he's had 155 attempts, the most in over three games, I think, in the NFL. And uh, he simply is a guy that that's still able to produce. So, you know, now Zach Wilson just got cleared, so we'll see. All right. Okay, well, thank you for that breakdown. And both of you guys, now listen, we're going to end on, end on a fun note here because I want you to watch this. Y'all complain about, hey, it's not – this is old school football. And – you know, back then when I caught this clip of Dick Buckus, I think, wow, this is pretty awesome. You know, watch. Look at there. He's got to get the interception. I'll do play-by-play for you guys. Look at that pick. Good job. He maintains his balance. But look, he's taunting. <laughs> hey, hey, back then, all those years ago, Dick Buckus was taunting his opponent. And- I can't believe that. I've <laughs> never seen that. It's amazing, right there. <laughs> hey, Dick Buckus taught. I love it, man. And I just wanted to show that to you guys. And what are your thoughts about that? Well, I know one of the one of the guys in the league that um, used to do very well against Mister Buckus, the guy that you're married to, uh, his his daughter, the Ranger Ray Mansfield, and some of the battles are still talked about around Pittsburgh between the Ranger, Ray Mansfield, and Dick Buckus. I got all the respect in the world for Dick Buckus. I got all the respect in the world for the Ranger because the Ranger was one heck of a ball player. I just, I am stunned to actually see Dick Buckus doing that right there. And then I think about it and I go, why? Why are you so stunned? Because football back then was um, downright nasty. There's no doubt about it. I remember coming into the league in 1985, and Lawrence Taylor had already changed the National Football League because he came in, I believe, 1983. And LT, I'll never forget, guys. Remember when they'd kick the ball off to start a game? They'd kick the ball off and go to a commercial? Well, if, in fact, the, the New York Giants defense was coming onto the field after they kicked the ball off and the defense was coming onto the field, LT had a habit of walking up and down the other team's sidelines. And he would walk up and down the sideline and he would tell every guy on the sideline exactly what he was going to do to them. And every guy on the sideline, every offensive lineman said, don't say anything. Don't say anything back to him. I, I think I've told you guys this story before. Again, I, I don't know if it made the final cut or not, but I've told the story before. And I can tell you right now, that is what I think of when I look at Dick Buck is doing that because it was a game. You, Gene Stalling said, brother, you got to hate the enemy. It's the first thing he ever said to us as the head coach. You got to hate the enemy. That's the way it used to be. It was, it was with malice you played against these other guys. and. It's just not like that today. No. Right. Well, that was an excellent, excellent third episode of <laughs> the, the Three Wolves of Football. <laughs> and just remember this. The Three Wolves of Football, episode three. Did you really do that? Did you really do that? I did. Hey, but I won. That's a face plant of face plants, baby. But are you are you calling a professional sumo wrestler now? 
you know what? No. Yeah, that's awesome. That is it. That is it. That is that is awesome. Hey, you know that's still one of my favorite memories growing up. Uh, the Three Wolves of Football, Episode Three. Did you really do that? And brothers, thank you so much. Because I'll tell you what, honestly, tonight was the first time that I saw some serious football knowledge being dropped, and I appreciate the both of you. I love you guys so much. Love you, love you, bro. Both okay. you, bros.